Looking for a new source to inspire students, alumni, faculty, staff, administrators, and trustees of Jesuit works? Check out Jesuit Saints and Blesseds Spiritual Profiles, available now at jesuitsources.bc.edu. That's jesuitsources.bc.edu. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. And it is great to be with you, Ashley. We are entering one of my favorite parts of the year, which when is- getting post- warmer. Yes, warmer. <laughs> it's post-St. Patrick's Day, post-Daylight Savings Change. We're rounding the corner in Lent. Yeah, spring really is on the way. Like I can leave work, and it's decent temperature, and it's still light outside. So Easter's coming. Yep. All right. Let's bring that energy to today's show. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> great one. We are, Who are we chatting with? Yeah, we're talking to Father Vivian Richards. He's a Jesuit priest of the Karnataka province in India, uh, but now he's living in Rome as and working at the Jesuit Curia. So that's like the, the home office of the Society of Jesus. Yeah. So we get to talk to um, Father Vivian about uh, an app that he's been working on that the Jesuits put out that is a Jesuit pilgrimage app. It's available um, if you got an iPhone or an Android, you can download it there. And it takes you um, inside some really important spots, both to um, St. Ignatius and the Jesuits, whether it, you could use it on the ground if you were there to kind of help learn about the spaces that you're in. Also, um, it really fits into some imaginative prayer if you're doing this from your couch. Yeah, so that's a great conversation. And in Signs of the Times, we will be talking about Biden's new asylum policies, as well as uh, papal inheritances and some Dominican and Jesuit friendly fire in the realm of basketball. That's right. But before we get to all of that, we have a few words from our sponsor this week. If you've been looking for a way to grow closer to Jesus this Lent, we found a great opportunity for you. Daily Rosary Meditations with Dr. Mike Scherschlich is a podcast where you learn how to meditate and establish a daily habit of prayer, all while discovering the truths of the Catholic faith. It's the fastest growing community praying the rosary with family and friends around the world. Each day, a different topic is explored, allowing you to learn your faith in bite-sized daily portions while you pray the rosary. So join them every day for scripture, meditation, and a rosary, all in under 20 minutes. The meditations are perfect for your daily commute or morning coffee. You can find them in your favorite podcast app by searching Daily Rosary Meditations or on the web at dailyrosary.net. That's www.dailyrosary.net. And now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Uh, And our first story is on immigration and Biden's new policies at the border. So for some background, in May, Title 42, which were the Trump era restrictions on the border related to the pandemic, are going to expire. And so in preparation of that, the Biden administration has uh, proposed new regulations that would limit who could come in. And basically, the new rules say that If you are traveling through other countries to get to the U.S. border, you have to make asylum claims in one of those countries before you get to the border or it will be assumed that you are ineligible for asylum. So basically, if you're a Honduran migrant seeking asylum at the U.S. border and you travel through Mexico, you have to apply for asylum in Mexico first. And that's problematic, one, because they don't have a great asylum system. And two, there are parts of Mexico that are also not safe. No. And this is a move that's been denounced 
discussed both by um, Catholic leaders and immigration advocates. Um, oftentimes, those are the same people. Writing in America Magazine, Bishop Mark Seitz, uh, he's the Bishop of El Paso. He wrote, policies that fail to secure protections for the vulnerable are morally deficient. Death simply cannot be an acceptable part of the overhead costs of our immigration policies. Yeah. And Biden actually met with Bishop Seitz back in January. Um, Biden made a trip to the to the U.S.-Mexico border and met with Seitz to hear his perspective on on immigration policies. So I think it's fair to say Joe, Joe Biden probably has a sense of what church teaching is on, on this issue. Yeah, I think that's true. And yet this is an example where there's a policy that he's continuing that's very similar to a, a tr- President Trump policy that pe- a lot of people got very angry about that is maybe getting a little swept under the rug because it's not Trump, uh, some might say. Um, but also this is a place where it's at odds with Catholic teaching and this is a Catholic president. Um, and we hear a lot about how some people talk all the time about how Joe Biden's Catholic values don't apply to the realm of abortion. And yet this is not something we hear a lot about. And maybe we should talk about it a little bit more because, you know, immigration, I I get that it's a complicated problem that, um, you know, sort of gets passed down from administration to administration. However, I think if there was enough political will to solve this, we would find a way. And I think the church could be an advocate in helping produce that will. What's our next story, Ashley? So this week I learned that if you are lucky and related to a pope, you could actually inherit from them <laughs> after they die. Yeah, I this was a surprise to me. Uh, we found this out uh, this week from Archbishop Georg Ganswine, who was uh, the late Pope Benedict's private secretary and uh, now the executor of the pope's estate, who recently discovered that the pope had more heirs than previously known. Yeah, so it was known that he had two cousins, but that number is actually five. And now they are eligible to inherit money from the pope. Archbishop Ganswine says he is legally obligated to write them a letter and ask them if they would like to receive this money. And so this is not millions. I've been checking my uh, <laughs> mail every day. <laughs> yeah, Hasn't come yet. They didn't say exactly how much was in Pope Benedict's estate, but I, I, I don't imagine it's millions of euros. Um. <laughs> no, I mean, I was just like struck by this in general because it's kind of, I don't know, it's interesting that, you know, Pope has money to give away because when he became Pope Benedict, all the royalties he made from writing books and things, he sort of signed all that over to the Vatican's copyright house. But this is a little different because when the Pope resigned, he you know, was a bishop of Rome. And so he was a retired bishop. And it's evidently standard, this is news to me, in the Catholic Church for retired bishops to receive a pension. And so he got what was typical for retired bishops, which was then about 2,500 euros a month. It's also typical, however, that he had his, you know, housing, meals, healthcare all provided for him already. So you, I mean, that's, I, he was not a super busy out on the town all the yeah. time guy. So I imagine some of this like racked up over the years. I do want to know what a pope spends money on, <laughs> like their their personal or a former pope or just a former bishop. Like, where does that money go? Yeah. You know, Catholic finances, um, they're super fascinating and not something I feel like they get talked about a lot. Um, and it's not to say like any of this is bad. It's I just think, you know, there's a reason why, like, even in the secular world, money diaries are so interesting because they're so deeply personal and revealing about what our priorities are in life and what we spend our money on. Um, and so I would love to see some more reporting on this from the church. Yeah. What's our next story, Zach? So it is March Madness, and uh, I've been watching the games. I know you have as well. Sorry about UVA. Um, I'm sitting in last place currently of the America Media office bracket pool, but I still have high hopes. Um, But we wanted to bring in a uh, basketball story this week that involves some Dominican and Jesuit friendly fire. Yes. So Georgetown hired Patrick Ewing a couple of years ago. And it's fair to say his tenure has not been a success so far. Over the past two years, they had a 29-game conference losing streak and a 13-50 and record. 
yeah, that is not good and will not get you into the tournament. And so they've really only had one tournament appearance in the past seven years. And so uh, the Jesuits decided to look uh, east and north uh, to Providence, where Ed Cooley um, has been tearing it up at the Dominican school. Yeah. And so this is really unprecedented. The Big East, which they're both a part of, is like kind of like a de facto Catholic conference in college basketball. And so for one Catholic school to poach a coach from another Catholic school really hasn't happened before. And for it to be Jesuits taking from a Dominican school just makes it all the more <laughs> contentious. Yeah. And I will let uh, Georgetown know if there's anyone listening. I am available. I'm waiting on my letter from uh, Georg Ganswein, Archbishop Ganswein, for my possible inheritance and from you Georgetown University to university become school. a coach. Uh, I would love to be uh, an assistant coach someday. So okay. uh, Georgetown, if you're listening, uh, I'm ready. And now stick around for our conversation with Father Vivian Richards. Joining us from Rome is Father Vivian Richards. Father Vivian is a Jesuit priest of the Karnataka province in, from India, working in the Jesuit Curia in Rome now. Welcome to Jesuitical, Father Vivian. Thank you. Thank you so much for having here in the Jesuitical podcast, America Magazine. Hey, thanks for stopping by. Maybe we could just start by hearing a little bit about the Jesuit Curia in Rome. I imagine that has to be a fascinating place with you know, Jesuits all over the world. What's the role of the, the communications department there? And also, like, what language is everybody speaking at the Curia? <laughs> um, well, uh, Curia is like the center of the Society of Jesus, where all the administrative things happen. And um, uh, it's situated not too far from the Vatican House. And uh, well, in the in the Curia, we have people from almost all the countries. And in fact, the communications office, uh, it plays a pretty much very important role um, in Father General's administration, so to say it. So, well, I would say that the office is pretty much uh, well equipped with people working um, as webmasters. Um, there's Stefano who takes care of the website and there's Robert Balliser, he's a Jesuit from California. He takes care of the studio and um, we have a translator uh, in-house, Katharina, and we have Pierre who is editor-in-chief for the yearbook Jesuits and myself, Vivian, I'm here as the social media project manager for the app and also take care of the Jesuit media. And the entire team is uh, headed by John, who is the director. So what, how long have you been there? And, and what has surprised you either about the Curia or, or the Vatican, life in Rome? Uh, it's been almost a year now because I came here as an intern while I was doing my master's. And um, slowly I got, you know, um, sucked in by the communications office, <laughs> so to say. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it's it's pretty fascinating to live here because, uh, you know, you see people of administrative powers and we live with them. And it's really nice to see how the Jesuit life has lived in the Curia. It's it's very simple. It's They are very approachable, in fact. And that's the very key thing that uh, really strikes me. And uh, I'm really moved sometimes to live in the Curia. Uh, even though Father General is here, you know, you really see him as a very person in, in himself, not like, you know, as person who has... Uh, you know, administrative powers, but he comes to me as a very close person and this is really good. Yeah, I mean, he, he's 
nicknamed the Black Pope in the church because of the the sort of influence and power that he has. Sounds very things. intimidating. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, which I don't know. I don't know how much the Jesuits love that that yeah. moniker, yeah. but um, no, it's interesting to hear that you know he's just another like brother Jesuit living and working with you guys in Rome. Um, True. I, I want to pivot, Vivian, to this app that you're talking about, the Jesuit Pilgrimage app. Uh, yeah. What's the what's the idea behind that? Because it's you know it's fascinating to me this entire idea of what a digital pilgrimage could be, or why why someone might want to go on that. Exactly. Uh, well, all this uh, the idea of the app came up during the COVID, and uh, there were so many people who wanted to visit. Uh, Ignatian places and who wanted to do a pilgrimage. But, you know, the COVID was a real big hit on the humanity and people couldn't travel. And uh, that was one of the reasons why we thought of going into an app format of the prayer. You have almost 44 places of St. Ignatius, uh, wherever he lived, we have them in the app, each of the sections in the app, it has got like the, its own prayer meditations with audio recordings and photos and 360 degree photos for each location. In fact, it's not just, you know, out of the COVID thing that came out, but it's also about, you know, how well we can use technology to pray. What is specifically Ignatian about this way of praying and how did how did Ignatian spirituality influence the, your choices on what to include and and kind of the experience people are going to get from this? Well, you know, the Ignatian prayer is mostly the contemplation. You you contemplate on what you're doing, and you know that's precisely how the Ignatian uh, prayer starts. And, and so it's pretty uh, visual. You, it's pretty visual, in fact. And uh, even if you open the app, you have you know a small text which is the preamble, like you know why this particular place is pretty important to the life of Saint Ignatius, and uh, a small meditation from his autobiography, and a small scripture passage, and finally a little a passage on reflection part of it, and the entire thing is summed up with photos of the place. So you actually visit the place virtually though and you have 360 degree photos so that you can have a virtual tour of this particular place that you're visiting. For example, if you want to go to Barcelona or if you want to go to you know, Mandresa where Ignatius lived, you have excellent 360 degree pictures and high definition photos and also Everything is recorded with audio meditations. So you can, you know, put on your headphones and uh, listen to the prayers and you can have your own meditation. On the other hand, if you'd like to even visit the place, there are maps integrated on this app. So you can actually navigate to the exact location of St. Ignatius and have a real life experience, on-spot experience. So in that way, actually, the, the app has got a lot of advantages and we can use technology to pray better. I want to go back to sort of like even before introducing technology, you know, the the idea of a contemplation of place. I think that's going to be a new phrase for a lot of our listeners. Could you just mm -hmm. give a, a background as to, to what that is? What's the Ignatian flavor of contemplation of place? And how might someone pray with that, maybe independent of technology or, or pilgrimages? Yeah. So the contemplation of the place comes for the first time in the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius. And uh, in each of the exercises, Ignatius specifies to the one who does a retreat to contemplate a place, that a place that he would dedicate himself for prayer and, you know, for the Bible passages and the meditations. I, I always and, thought it was like particularly gospel passages. Is that is that true or was Ignatius suggesting other places as well? Well, in fact, uh, while I did my retreat um, uh, in the Novitiate, my Norse master, who said, you know, you need to choose a place for your prayer and you need to sit down there. That is your physical place. But the contemplation of the place is where you contemplate on the meditations of, you know, Jesus or 
know, the biblical passages, and then you literally go into that place. Like you live in that place. You actually see the people that you read in the passage. So in fact, you live what you read in the Bible. So the contemplation of place, one is you physically choose a place to sit down. And the second is you go into the spiritual experience by reading the passage and you place yourself in the prayer. What does that visualization add to prayer? I think most people think of prayers talking to God. And so like, why, why does it matter the setting? You can pray anywhere. What, what does contemplating either a biblical scene or contemplating seeing Jesus next to you? What, what has that done, at least in your own prayer life? Because as someone well, who finds, I, I don't have a very active imagination. So <laughs> I've always found this really difficult to like picture a gospel scene in my head. Yeah. Uh, well, I can I can give my own example. Like you know, when I started my retreat, um, the the thirty day annual retreat, uh, it was pretty hard for me to understand why this visualization is pretty much important, or you know, this imagination in prayer, wherein you situate yourself in the gospel passage, and then you see you know the people in the gospels, or you know the characters in the gospel uh, among you, or you in them. But the moment I started realizing that it's pretty important for me to get into the mood of scene the the actual scene over there uh helped me a lot and uh, the more i do the easier it gets so it's like you know these kind of visuals or the imagination in prayer helps one to get connect to oneself so that you know you 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 kind of get the best message from the passage and you kind of personalize the message that you receive in the prayer mm. so you get a more personalized experience exactly, yeah, from your yeah. prayer. So when you are imagining yourself like Jesus is talking to you or you are observing mm-hmm. Jesus, it's not a thing that happened, you know, 2000 years ago. It, yeah, you start from there. Probably you start from there. You go into the passage, you start from there. But slowly when you move into the prayer, you kind of get what message is there for you. It's it's yeah, everyone has got separate messages, so the the message comes directly to you and probably that is where I personalize the message. Now, I'd heard about doing this with gospel passages, and I've tried that, but I'd never Mm -hmm. really considered doing it with um, sort of pilgrimage destinations or or, or spots. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your experience has been um, sort of putting together you know the life of St. Ignatius and the the spots that are important to him, what, what contemplation of place is like for that. Well, as I said, like, you know, we have almost 44 places of Ignatius covered in the app, like all the places wherever he lived. And, the and most w- significant what are places. some of those? What are some of the big highlights? We have, you know, say Pamplona, we have Loyola, Barcelona, then we have Manresa, Montserrat. Those are all in uh, Spain. Where, where those are all Ignatius in Spain. And you have in Paris where he studied, you have Montmartre where he took his, you know, the vows. And uh, you have in Rome, Jesu, the entire place of Jesu is covered. And a lot of places, in fact, London, each of these places, they have specific uh, life situations or importance in the life of St. Ignatius. So say, for example, uh, the Pamplona experience, the cannonball moment, uh, probably for Ignatius, it would be like, you know, a life-changing moment where something happened to his life. And when I go into that particular aspect of, you know, meditating the cannonball experience or, you know, the Pamplona, for me, it is what are the cannonball moments in my life? And when I pray using this app, I listen to the experience that Ignatius underwent during his time. And it makes me realize that what are my own cannonball moments? What is my Pamplona experience? And that makes me go back into my life situations and my events of life and slowly have a little interior conversion. And what if you've never been to these places before? Because I imagine it might be 
like I was I was using the app and mm-hmm. I, I had an easier time with um, some of the places in Rome because um, Ash and I had a chance to go there and visit the rooms mm-hmm. of Ignatius mm-hmm. and stuff. What do you recommend if, you know, I've, ne- I've never been to any of the sites in Spain. Um, do I need to get hung up on the details that I'm not like physically there or what's my, what's the best way to approach that? Well, for me, it is, uh, even if you have not visited these places, I think the the meditations are perfectly curated in a way that it gives you a spiritual experience. And it's precisely for those people who cannot afford to go to those places in the first place and who wish they would go and uh, but still want to have a kind of a spiritual experience. So these kind of visuals will really help people to understand, okay, these are the key elements that Ignatius saw during his time. And uh, probably that is the same thing that I'm seeing right now, you know, the house of Ignatius, and you see where he lived. And uh, those kind of key elements would probably trigger a moment of prayer in one's life. Have you heard from anyone yet about their experience with the app? Well, a few of them write back to me saying that, you know, we had some good experiences using the app. And the best part is, you know, we can have, uh, you know, different groups of prayer or different types of prayer, so to call it, uh, you know, the entire app can be screencasted on, on on a television and you can have a small family group prayer or, you know, if you want to animate a group prayer in your own, um, you know, youth team or, you know, those kind of activities are almost welcome from this app. And it's just a matter of screencasting the app and having the audio meditations streamed. I'm curious uh, what your, your thoughts are about praying with technology more generally. Uh, um <laughs> Mm-hmm. Being a younger <laughs> Jesuit, uh, this, this might come more naturally to you, but I imagine True. there might be some some yeah. of your, your older uh, brothers that might look at this work kind of skeptically um, that, you know, the, the phone uh, is a place or a mode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, of prayer. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I admit, like, I have a really hard time praying with my phone. I, I feel like I, I use that as like a tool for a bunch of other things in my life. Yeah. And I actually want to like throw this out the window when I'm trying to pray, right? Because of so many, all the distractions that can come in. True. Well, for me, it is, uh, it's a starting point, I would say. You know, this particular Ignatian pilgrimage app would be a starting point and not the end in itself. It would show how to pray or, you know, get, you know, the contemplation into action by, you know, listening to the passages. And once we use this, then I think we need to throw the phone out and, you know, get into the mood of prayer. Uh, but you you just cannot say that, okay, I'm praying using the app. Yes, the app will give you a starting point to pray, but you know the prayer has to happen, um, you know, through the self. Uh, during the development of this app, many of the people here in the Curia too uh, kind of said like, oh, "How are you going to pray with this app?" Because you know, uh, I, I just cannot do it during my morning prayer. Like, I, I, I mean, we don't carry our phones to the chapel, or you know, even even reading the gospel uh, sometimes using the phone would be very distracting because there would be notifications popping up, and uh, maybe the screen goes off and things like that. So it is pretty distracting. But well, the answer is. It is just a starting point. I want to switch gears a little bit here and ask you some questions about the church in India. We're, we're in the middle of the Synod on Synodality, which is all about mm-hmm. hearing different voices from around the world. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious what conversations you're hearing from either fellow, fellow Jesuits or just other people you know from your province in India. I can say this because uh, my mom, uh, she is part of the synodal process in the parish. And uh, very recently they had, you know, the meeting with all the parishioners and the Parish council members uh, talking about synod and synodality, and in 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 what best way we can you know be a synodal church. And uh, in the beginning, my mom was clueless about this. Like, what is this process going to be like? Would it change anything in the church? I think like, we all really... felt a little clueless about the process. Exactly. 
very skeptical and uh, but she was pretty um, hopeful saying that well the pope has asked us to discern the synodal process and i think uh, each of the parish is doing its best um, even talking about synodal process in india is a little uh, you know overwhelming and it it kind of brings in a lot of hope in fact and a few of my uh, people back in india like my friends they do talk about synodal process when they meet the parish priest and uh, they have this kind of a discussion about how well we can be a synodal church what are some so, of the the biggest questions or topics that that you've heard discussed or have, your mom has heard discussed <laughs> you know the clergy mentality if i can say that uh, because everything is becoming very clerical so it is you know the clergy uh, takes a prominent um, positions in the church decision making positions in the church and uh, you know how can the lay people be part of it uh, so i think there should be another process like you know a process where discernment happens between the laity and you know people within the church so that both of them come into a common ground and you know discuss the things and take decisions in in the church and within the church and again uh, the participation of the youth uh, we have great number of youth in india and uh, i think uh, the synodal church will really give rise to the participation of the youth in india and uh, a lot of youth activities probably should emerge after this process i believe so that's that's something that i hopeful it's interesting you know a lot of the i feel like clericalism how to get young people involved that's a pretty common theme we've heard um from a mm-hmm. lot of different people we've talked to all around the yeah. world um it, it does feel like that is a among one of the one of the issues that the Holy Spirit seems to be prodding in, mm-hmm. in the synodal process. True. And we'll encourage all of our listeners to check out the Jesuit Pilgrimage app. I assume they can find it wherever they on whatever app stores. Absolutely. It's it's available on Play Store and App Store and you just have to, you know, log into www.jesuitpilgrimage.app and uh, we have excellent uh, space over there a section for media and promotion and you know if you're a Jesuit what can you do we have a list of things we have proposed a lot of things if you are a parish priest what can you do with this app or how well you can use this app if you are you know a, a teacher or a group leader or a student or you know no one uh, you can always use this app and uh, the app is available in four languages right now and we have already uh, initiated a process to do it in many more languages uh, there are eight more lined up and uh, a lot more features are coming in so stay tuned for the app and uh, yep Wow, that's incredible. Well, we'll we'll make sure that we link to both the uh, the Apple Store and the Google Play Store and Excellent. all the resources uh, in Thank our show you. notes. Um, we do have one final question, uh, Vivian, mm-hmm. that we ask all our guests: um, is that if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? <laughs> well, um, I guess Pope Francis would be the one um, living. and a real person uh he comes to me uh, as a person very uh, warm uh, humble and uh, very genuine and uh, i see him as a person who is is really making a difference in the church and uh, probably many have told you this that he would be uh, he would be the next saint but for me he is already one and uh, he's he's a person of god so yeah and he I, from what I understand, he makes uh, some visits to the Jesuit Curia uh, yes. on the regular. Have you have you gotten the the part of one of those visits yet? <laughs> uh, yeah, he did visit us once, uh, and that was uh, to greet on the feast of Saint Ignatius, 
and it was excellent and um, we really loved his presence he's is very uh, very humane person yeah i get the sense he likes being around you know his jesuit brothers he he sort of like feels like that calls back to you know all yeah. of his formation is that is that your True. understanding too uh that could be one the other one is he just looks forward to being in any jesuit community because this is where he feels at home mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> you know when you, when you have jesuit brothers around him like you know it's 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 like a family so it's not like you know people go and kiss his ring but you know we just <laughs> give him a warm hug and that's what jesuits do to another one so yeah so probably he feels really warm here awesome well uh Thanks so much. Uh, again, we're talking to Father Vivian Richards, who is working at the Jesuit Curie in Rome, who was a project manager on the Jesuit Pilgrimage app. Thanks so much for joining Jesuitical, Father Vivian. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. Days of romantic prose and Nights out under the sky, watching stars. In Viaggio, The Travels of Pope Francis, is a new documentary from Academy Award-nominated director Gianfranco Rossi. The film provides a deeply intimate look at Francis's papacy as he travels the world meeting the faithful. In theaters for special screenings on Monday, March 27th. Find more information at inviagiodoc.com. Available to rent and own on digital March 31st. If you've been looking for a way to grow closer to Jesus this Lent, we found a great opportunity for you. Daily Rosary Meditations with Dr. Mike Scherschlich is a podcast where you learn how to meditate and establish a daily habit of prayer, all while discovering the truths of the Catholic faith. It's the fastest growing community praying the rosary with family and friends around the world. Each day, a different topic is explored, allowing you to learn your faith in bite-sized daily portions while you pray the rosary. So join them every day for scripture, meditation, and a rosary, all in under 20 minutes. The meditations are perfect for your daily commute or morning coffee. You can find them in your favorite podcast app by searching Daily Rosary Meditations or on the web at dailyrosary.net. That's www.dailyrosary.net. All right, now it's time for Parish Announcements, the part of our show where we ask you to please be seated before the final blessing. Uh, We got a drawing this week, Ashley. Yeah, so as we mentioned over the last couple weeks, we have three books from our friend Kirsten Powers to give away. So last year, we talked to her about her book, Saving Grace, Speak Your Truth, Stay Centered, and Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. And now we have our three winners. Yes. So a huge uh, congratulations and thank you for supporting us on Patreon uh, to Justin Rays, uh, Nate Burns, and Elizabeth Koch. Um, You guys were chosen by a random number generator among our Patreon supporters. So we're going to be reaching out to you in getting your most up-to-date mailing addresses. So uh, check your mailbox. Yeah. And even if you didn't win, Kirsten is a friend of the show and a great person. So check out her book, Saving Grace. And uh, before we move on to As One Friend Speaks to Another, I just want, I have one ask to everyone listening right now. Um, 
if you could, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please, please, please um, take a moment to just leave us a review. Give us five stars. Um, that really helps people discover the show and find the show, and it makes us look a little more credible when they discover it. So um, if you can do that, that would be a huge help to uh, getting the message out there. And we've had a lot of fun this season and had some really good episodes. So um, while you're at it, you could always also just send an interview from the season that you enjoyed also. To a friend. To a friend. Or an enemy. (laughs) And now we have As One Friend Speaks to Another, the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding God in our lives this week. Uh, And this week, I was on deck to write one of America's uh, subscriber-only scripture reflections for Lent. And the passage I was praying with uh, came from the Gospel of John. It's where Jesus comes upon this man at the pool of Bethesda who's been uh, ill for, for decades and is unable to get to the healing waters of the pool by himself. Um, and Jesus asked the man, uh, do you want to be well? And when I read that line, it, it struck me as a bit odd. <laughs> like this man has been sick for 38 years. Of course he wants to be well. You would never go up to someone with cancer and say, do you want to be well? Or like, do you want to be healed? Like, obviously you do. But then when I think about it in kind of like my moral life, imagine Jesus asking me the question, like, do you want to be well? Do I want to be reconciled with him and with others and love myself and others? Like, that's what it means to really be well as a Christian. And I can think of so many times where I have like Augustine's answer of yes, but not yet. So thinking about this question, I think what Jesus is doing is taking seriously this, what this man wants, like paying attention to his desires and what that can say and how that can lead him to healing. Yeah, I was struck by the passage, too, because I was wondering how Jesus got to Maryland. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, sorry, I just had to slip that in. Um, no, but I, th- I the question, it, it's such a striking question. Do you want to be well? And I think you're exactly right to think about um, sort of like what we desire and what we fear. And it's like this being lent a time of conversion. It's like conversion. There's always some fear about actually like, oh, I don't think I'm going to be happy if I do that. Um, This thing I know right now, um, I don't know if I'm happy, but at least I know exactly what's happening. And any type of change is uncertain. And I don't want to go to that. A good like... Ignatian exercise, I feel like, is like, okay, well, what what is it I desire? Do I do I want these things, or do I desire stability? Um, where is God calling me in that desire for stability? Um, because I think there is. It's like, okay, if you don't want to be well, what do you want then? And sitting with that question, I think, is is really hard. Yeah, and I did a little bit of uh, imaginative prayer with the passage, and I was like thinking, okay, like if this man's immediate answer was not yes, I want to be well, but saying to Jesus, I've been laying here for 38 years and no one will carry me to the well. And whenever I get there, the waters pull away. And I was like, you know, if I were that guy, what I would want Jesus to tell me is not like, you're good. It's like, those people are bad. They've been selfish. They haven't helped you. And it's their fault you're not well. Yeah. Um, it, so that was just like a interesting insight to have. But yeah, I think also on the idea of fear, like the fear of if you're honest to yourself about what you desire, that it, it won't be the right thing. And then just kind of wanting to block that out and not go there. Um, but that's exactly what prayer invites us to do, is especially in the Ignatian tradition, is to take seriously your desires. And even when they don't seem right, you know, 
bring them to God and have a conversation about it. No, I do that all the time. Like I, I or what I think I should desire or the way I think I should be or what being holy should look like. Those are the things that I, I know what I think they are supposed to be. So often that's what I'll gravitate to instead of what I truly deep down want. So I'm working on it. <laughs> so listeners, maybe this week you can you can bring that question to your own prayer. Do you want to be well? And and see what your answer is. And, and don't be afraid to, to be honest with yourself and with God. And with that, I will get us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Cristobal Spielman. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Lothrop Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. 